Okay, tonight we are picking it up in chapter 12 of 1 Chronicles. Last week when we finished chapter 11, we had cleared all the early names and the different tribes of those Israelites coming back from the Babylonian captivity. And then we moved on to David, King David, that great king around 1000 BC and his kingdom being established. And now tonight we pick it up with more information about King David and how his kingdom grew and got stronger. So tonight we're going to be looking at David and we pick it up in chapter 12, verse 1. Now, these were the men who came to David at Ziglag while he was still a fugitive from King Saul, the son of Kish. Remember, David was being persecuted by his father-in-law, King Saul, the first king. David was a replacement king that God had chosen. You'll also recall last week in chapter 11, we left off with all David's mighty men. So that's our context. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left, and hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. So these are defectors from the same tribe as Saul. Uh, Economically and position-wise, that would seem to be a big risk to switch tribes from affiliation with Saul being from the tribe of Benjamin, the king over everything, to go with David the fugitive. But that's what they did. Verse 3. The chief was Ahazir, then Joash, the son of Shema, the Gibbethite, Jeziel and Pelet, the sons of Asmaveth, Barak and Jehu, the Anathite, Ishemiah, the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the 30 and over 30, the 30, Jeremiah, Jezeheziel, Johanan, and Josabad, the Gedarite, Ezuziah, Jeremoth, Beliah, Shemariah, Shephatiah, the Harufite, Elkanah, Jishiah, Azarel, Jozer, and Jeshubim, the Korahites, and Joel, and Zebediah, the sons of Jeroham of Gedor. Verse 8, some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle the shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Ezer the first, Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmanah the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Atiah the sixth, Eliel the seventh, Johanan the eighth, Elzabad the ninth, Jeremiah the tenth, and Machbani the eleventh. These were the sons of Gad, captains of the army. The least was over a hundred, and the greatest was over a thousand. So these guys are really special warriors here. Verse 15, these are the ones who crossed the Jordan River in the first month when it overflowed with its banks, and they put to flight all those in the valleys to the east and to the west. Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold, and David went out to meet them and answered and said to them, if you've come peaceably to me uh, to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if you betray me to my enemies, since there's no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Then the spirit came upon Amasiah, the chief of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. So David received them and made them captains of the troop. And some from Manasseh defected to David when he was going with the Philistines to battle against Saul. That's a reference to a story there in the book of Samuel. But they did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines sent them away by agreement, saying, David may defect to his master Saul and danger our heads in that battle situation implied. 
When he went to Ziglag, those of Manasseh who defected to him were Adna, Jozebad, Jedidiel, Michael, Jozebad, Eliahu, Zelithiah, captains of thousands who were from Manasseh, and they helped David against the band of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor, and they were captains in the army, for at that time they came to David day by day, they came to David day by day to help him until it was a great army like the army of God. It's a pretty cool segment of scripture because you have this record of the progressive buildup of the army getting stronger and stronger. And it's interesting, it begins with these ambidextrous soldiers from the tribe of Benjamin, which is pretty amazing because if you've ever tried to do anything both hands, it's extremely difficult. Switch hitting in baseball, throwing with opposite arms, surfing, we used to do uh, switch foot surfing to, to have fun. It's, it's really hard to do. So these guys had to be really trained to be skillful enough to go to war and have confidence in both hands this way in combat. So clearly these Benjamites were, were great warriors. Now the Gadites who come to us in verse 8, they're, they're noted for their ability for offense and defense. Did you catch that? The shield is defense, the spear is offense. So be able to fight both ways, offense, defense. And their faces are like face of lions, so they obviously it's implied that they're very courageous in their responsibilities with military on behalf of their tribe, the tribe of Gad. And they were swift as gazelles. These guys were elite warriors for sure, and they stand out to us. Not only were they elite in their skills, they're elite as leaders. And God brought them to David. God brought them to David. Then we see later on, down farther down, that Asahiah comes from the tribe of Benjamin, Amasiah. And he's an interesting fellow. We just got to at least talk about him historically, contextually for a moment. He's the second cousin of Joab, the great general Joab, who we studied Saturday night in topically, topically and then verse by verse last Tuesday, who took, you know, Jebush, Jerusalem. He's a second cousin. David, it's interesting because it says the Spirit of God came upon him. Did you catch that? That doesn't happen too often in the Old Testament. It says the Spirit of God came upon him. So that's a really special detail for his life in the context here. Because David doesn't know who to trust. He's being persecuted by Saul, by the Israeli army. But everyone knows that David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. That was the song the ladies sang. And it's like, it would have been a really difficult time. Like, almost like, whose side are you on? Like, you were really forced to pick a side. And these guys were from Benjamin, that tribe. And they defected to David. And David's like, hey, if you're up to some kind of scheme, my hands are clean and the Lord will deal with you. Which is pretty cool because it shows how David trusted in the Lord to have his back. If you're driven by insecurity and fear of plots and plannings of other evil men or women, you, you just can't live that way. You, just, you have to be free from the fear of men. You need to fear the Lord, serve the Lord, and know he's got your back for things going afoul. And who's got time to police all these people underneath them? Especially if the bigger your company is or the bigger the crowd is you roll with. You, you just can't. You can't move from a position of insecurity. We have to come from a position of security through our faith in the Lord. And it was David who said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he's going to lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. And he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Like, you need to know, even though people might be plotting against you, and you can't be ignorant. Sometimes you may have to deal with something. That's what we talked about on Saturday night. But still, in the end, you just got to, you got to go for what God's calling you to do and, and, if there's people plotting against you, who's got time? Look at Jesus, how he stayed on point with his ministry. There are Pharisees and Sadducees are plotting his death, trying to entrap him. He just stayed on point, always, not sometimes, always doing those things that please the Father. 
So David had to be secure in his calling as he's being strengthened this way, and he was. And so God brought to him this man, Amasiah. But here's the thing about Amasiah. He pledged loyalty, but if you know your Bible, you know that when Absalom, the son of David, committed treason against his father, it was this man who stayed behind and became the general for Absalom who usurped David as the king of Israel briefly during that time in Jerusalem. Joab left with David when he fled from his son Absalom, but he stayed. Amasiah stayed, and he became the general for Absalom. But then, back to David, after Absalom was killed by Joab with the spear, and that rebellion was put down, David was so upset with Joab that he said to him, Amasiah, you'll be the new commander of my army. Just come and get, come get me. You know, receive us back. Absalom's dead. I'll come back. With the, you know, you, you come get me. I'll make you the general. So he intended to replace Joab with this guy. But then he told this guy, go round up the troops because there was another rebel that was causing problems. They had to go deal with that brush fire, if you will. And he said, you need me to meet me here at such and such a time and such and such a place. You're the new commander, and we'll go get this guy. Let his rebellion be worse than Absalom's. Well, this guy, Amasiah, he showed up late. His first day on the job, at a critical juncture, he showed up late. He didn't arrive at the appointed time. That's never a good way to start your first day of job. All of you know that, I'm sure. Especially when you're going to be the new general of the armies of Israel. Don't show up late. Whatever reason he was late for, we don't know, but he showed up late. Well, Joab, we were talking about this the other day, me and Sam, or I forget who it was, we were saying like, Joab has so many great things he did, but one thing is he had to be the quarterback, if you will. You are fine with him unless you tried to replace him, and then he just, he, he gutted you. That's what he did. And Joab killed this guy. And the record of the Bible tells us that this guy the spirit came upon, died wallowing his, it literally says, wallowing in his own blood. And Joab says, whoever's with me and King David, let's go. We got to get this rebel up here. And they're like, we're with you. We are with you. And so, and then they went and did exactly what they needed to do because Joab shows up in the city and says, hey, there's got to be a smart woman in this city. That rebel, I'll spare your city if you cut his head off and throw it over the wall. And the lady's like, hey, it's a deal. Don't burn our city to the ground. And they, they did that, and everyone went home. David was established. This guy came and went. Joab was still in power as the general. I share all that because David, here we see the key, is to trust in the Lord always in any and every situation. And that's what he did. And in trusting the Lord, not only did the Lord protect him from things that could go against him, because obviously we saw in Samuel how the Lord protected him from Saul, But I draw your attention to another element of his life. Here in verse 22 where it says, They came to him, did you catch this? Day by day. Day by day. By God's decree and God's provision, he got stronger day by day. This is very encouraging to me because really with the Lord... In our personal walks with the Lord, we're either getting stronger day by day or weaker day by day. We're either moving toward the things of the kingdom in our prayer life, spending time in the word with God, uh, thinking on our thoughts after God, being motivated by the good things of the Lord. We are either, every human being who is born of the Spirit is either getting better 
and stronger day by day in the Lord or not. And I don't want anyone to say, like, if you brought your friend and they heard a Bible study with me teaching Chronicles, and if you were here 10 years ago when I surveyed Chronicles, I wouldn't want Pastor Anthony back there to say, well, you know, that was good, but you should have heard him 10 years ago teaching Chronicles. Like, who wants to hear that, right? Like, I don't want you to go like, well, you know, yeah, that was, yeah, Joey was good on, you know, Tuesday, the 27th of March, 2023, but boy, you should have heard him in 2011. No. We, we don't, we don't, no. We want our best day to be este dia, this day. Don't you? Like, don't you want this to be your best day? And don't you want to grow day by day? Don't you want the Lord to make you stronger day by day? Day by day, stronger and stronger. That conversation with my sister, I mentioned it, driving to Melbourne Airport a month and a half ago there in Florida. She's taking me back up from Vero Beach to Melbourne. And we were talking about like a bigger vision and what God wants to do in her life and her testimony and all this. But somehow we got back on that, you know, the famous statement that sobriety groups uses, you know, one day at a time, right? You see the bumper stickers on one day at a time. And that's usually an affiliation with NA or AA or something like that. But it really does have a biblical basis because the Bible says, you know, this is the day that the Lord has made. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Uh, seek first the kingdom of God for sufficient is trouble for this day. Today, if you will not harden your heart, then things will go good with you. Paraphrasing that text from Psalms and then the book of Hebrews. The Lord is always today. And see, we can't, there's so much we cannot change. In fact, most things we can't. But the one thing that we all have the choice to do is change ourselves. If you don't like how yesterday was, don't do the same thing today. If it wasn't working yesterday and you do the same thing today, you're going to get the same result today. They call that insanity. To do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. So if you want to grow in the Lord and you're not happy with where you're at with the Lord, then you've got to change how you approach that. We have to make more time for the Lord. We have to slow things down with the Lord. We need to be more available to the Lord. We need to challenge ourselves with the things of the Lord. Maybe we just need to remind ourselves every morning when we wake up, we are the Lord's. And the very first things I think of in the morning is, Lord, that I would walk in humility and gratitude. That's what I pray for. Very first thing when I wake up, my purpose on planet Earth today is to walk in humility and gratitude. That's a good foundation. And my second thing is, is to walk in faith and obedience. I just remind myself of those four things every morning. Let's say, I just waking up, having my coffee, before I read my Bible, I'm just right there gathering my thoughts. Humility and gratitude, faith and obedience. That's got to be a good start. However you start your day, you should be starting with the things of the Lord and the things of the kingdom. Day by day. See, David was trusting the Lord and he was trying to do the right things with the Lord. He was anointed by the Lord. This is before he became the king of all the tribes, the contextually. And as he's there, like he didn't have, like he kept the Lord first and God brought the right people. It's like Pastor Chuck in the Calvary movement where he brought him Mike McIntosh and Greg Laurie and Skip Heising and, and all these people. He brought them. It's like our first year of worship generation. I didn't recruit Jeremy Camp. He just showed up. I saw a clip today of Phil Wickham playing on Fox News or something. I was like, look at Phil, he's all grown up and playing on national TV. We used to drive around together in my car when he was 16, going to do Christian clubs at Brethren Christian High School off the 605. 
We used to go do events where they would invite us to do events. I, I didn't, I just recognized this incredibly gifted 16-year-old and said, like, this is the guy I want doing stuff with me. Day by day, we got stronger. Here we are at WG. Day by day, we get stronger. People come and go. New people come in. We're getting stronger. He's making this ministry stronger. He's making you stronger. He'll make your marriage stronger to really go after the things of the Lord, to get stronger in the Lord, and make that the only thing that matters. Because really nothing else does matter. Because the last thing I tell myself before I walk out the door is, this could be the day I step into eternity. So walk like it. You know, they always say, I told you, they say, dress for the job, not that you have, but the one you want. Be that person. Carry yourself like that person. You want to be the manager? Don't carry yourself like the assistant manager. Carry yourself like you're the manager. Well, I can do way better than that for the kingdom. I want to carry myself like I'm already in the kingdom and glory. I want to carry myself like I'm already standing before the Lord on the day of the Lord. And I want to live this day like that day. Because one day, it's going to be that day. Nothing sadder than people wasting their lives and all the lost opportunities of their lives with foolishness and folly, except to step into eternity living their lives like that. Because the only thing worse than a wasted life is to give account for it. Day by day, stronger and stronger in the Lord. That's WG, that's the most beautiful application because it is so obtainable for every one of us. Like childlike faith, it is so obtainable for each one of us every day to get stronger and stronger day by day in the things of the Lord. If we simply accept the responsibility and purpose in our heart, that's what we're going to do. Verse 23. Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war, and they came to David at Hebron. Okay, so this is after he's ruling in, over Judah, but not over all the tribes. And it says, to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. Now remember, after Saul died, there's a seven-year period where the other tribes were not unified to David yet with the tribe of Judah. Of the sons of Judah, verse 24, bearing shield and spear, 6,800 armed for war. Of the sons of Simeon, mighty men of valor, fit for war, 7,100. Look at this, and Levites get in on the battle. Verse 26, of the sons of Levi, 4,600. Well, good for them. Verse 27, Jehoiadiah, the leader of the Aaronites, and with him, 3,700. Zadok, a young man, valiant warrior from his father's house, 22 captains of the sons of Benjamin, relatives of Saul, 3,000. Until then, the greatest part of the men remained loyal to the house of Saul. Of the sons of Ephraim, 20,800 mighty men of valor, famous men throughout their father's houses. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 who were designated by name to come and make David king. So they were, the tribe said, you go down there, make the commitment. Verse 32. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. Of Zebulun, there were 50,000 who went out to battle, expert in war with all weapons of war, stout-hearted men who could keep ranks. Of Naphtali, 1,000 captains, and with them 37,000 with shield and spears. Of the Danites, who could keep battle formation, 28,600. Of Asher, those who could go out to war, able to keep battle formation, 40. 40,000 of the Reubenites and the Gadonites and half-tribe of Manasseh, so that's the east side tribes on the other side of the river, from the other side of Jordan, 120,000 armed for battle with every kind of weapon of war. All these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with 
a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. And they were there with David three days, eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, those who were near to them from as far away as Iskar and Zebulun and Naphtali were bringing food on donkeys and camels on mules and oxen, provisions of flour and cakes of figs and cakes of raisins, wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly, for there was joy in Israel. What a wonderful story this is. All the tribes, they're all in. So there's been, first there's the first king, Saul. Well, first there's chaos in the back end of Judges. There's just a lack of leadership. Everyone knew it was right in their own eyes. Then God gives him the prophet Samuel, who's amazing. Now the word of the Lord goes out. Now Saul becomes king, but he goes bad. Saul, happy they've got a centralized government leadership, but it goes bad. And he's attacking David. So now for the next decade, everyone has to live with the reality that the future king is being persecuted by the current king, who's also his father-in-law. Then that all gets resolved. Saul and his sons all die the same night. We saw that in the same battle at Gilboa. But then it's another seven years of division. So you can only imagine... What a joyful time this is. Isn't it wonderful when there's been division and people are reconciled? Isn't it great when there's like reconciliation together at work, in a church, in a family, extended family? It can't always happen for various reasons, but it sure is beautiful when it happens. It's just a beautiful thing when it happens. When there's forgiveness and people let go and, you know, everyone's comfortable and who they are before God and and we can just come together. That's what they did. And they had a three-day festival to celebrate it. The men of Issachar are noteworthy because they understood the times and what to do. That's actually the book of Proverbs right there. You see the big three, right? Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. There they are. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. They had understanding to know what to do. Knowledge, the facts, understanding what it means, wisdom, what the actions are based upon the knowledge. Knowledge is just data. Understanding is what it means. Wisdom is what to do. I was doing all kinds of uh, loan rate data today, the kind of stuff Haley does at work. I was looking at these different loan rates, price points on houses, loans, 25%, you know, all this stuff. You, you got you to get the facts. And then you understand what they mean. And then you know what you can or cannot do. It works that way in your personal finances. It works that way in relationships. If you ask her to the prom and she says no, then you know. <laughs> and the wisdom is just let it go because she didn't want to go to prom with you. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom, right? Everything in life is knowledge, understanding, wisdom. What you know, what it means, and what you do. And these guys from Issachar, they had it. But even better than that, or not better, just apart from that, This phrase, because we haven't seen it, they kept rank, they kept rank, they kept battle formation, they kept rank, it's all over, it's in verse 38, where it says they have a loyal heart, it's it's all over there, it's there in 35, it's in 34, they kept rank, there's an interesting phrase, it means that they could hold the line, in a battle they didn't run, They, they held the line, and they kept rank, we have to know in battle that the left flank is the left flank, and they're not going to break. And in, in battle, that the right flank is the right flank, and they're not going to break. In combat, you need to know that your people, your band of brothers, they're not going to break rank. That no man left behind it. You're going to hold the line. You're going to do your job. It's a sign of maturity in your life, in your marriage, that you can hold the line and not break rank. 
It's a sign of maturity when at work there's different rumors and divisions and discourse going on, and you can show yourself faithful to the Lord and to your job and those that hired you that you can hold the line and not break rank. It's important in the body of Christ when there's all kinds of strange things going on, which can happen, especially in big churches, that you can hold the line and not break rank. God honors people who can hold the line and not break rank. It's important that God works in order, and it's important that we can hold the line. One beautiful thing about the history of this church is the amazing men and women who have proven they can hold the line, can hold rank and hold the line. So I've been so fruitful and so effective in so many things for eternity. We'll find out when we get there. And all the people who have come and gone were like a sports franchise maybe for 20, almost 25 years now from the Jeremy Camps and Phil Wickham's and the Garrett Beelers and all the other people, Tim Chaddix. And, you know, we've come and gone, but like the, the continuity and the consistency of our legacy of where we've been, but more the excitement of where we're going is God bringing people who have a united heart, united mind with the Lord Jesus Christ over us. And we can hold the line. We can hold rank. Like show up here on time. You're spearing your sword. Boom, 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 boom. Like that's, there's power in unity. There's strength in unity. And the beauty of the local church is this. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 that we endeavor to create unity? No. Endeavor to find unity? No. We endeavor to maintain unity because Christ is not divided. Unity is already in place. Christ is the head of the church. The, the, the responsibility of the board of elders and the pastors is to be under Christ together, and we're going to always have unity. We can talk through different perspectives and things or whatnot, but Christ is not divided. There's one mind with Christ, and there's one clear vision and purpose with, with the church being led by the Lord. They're in the book of Acts. They're in the upper room, and they're of one mind and one accord. They're in the book of Acts. They're all saved, thousands of people, and they're going forward, and it says they're of one accord. Now, the book of Acts has division. Sometimes people just got to go in different directions, and church history shows us that too. But just make sure if you go in different directions, you go in one accord with unity in your hearts toward everybody and your love for the big universal church and respect for the greater body of Christ. Be like David. Don't be afraid to receive people and appoint them to places of position because you're insecure. Do it because you're secure in the Lord and you're endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Lord. It's a beautiful chapter on leadership from David and how he trusts in the Lord and God brought him all these quality people. And as you trust in the Lord with your jobs and your businesses and your relationships and your neighborhood and the things that God's entrusted to you, you ask for the right people, he'll bring you the right people. It's funny, once you're open to seeking the right people, he'll bring them to you. You'll find them. Once you take steps of faith in the right direction, he'll bring people along your side to help you in that direction. He's done it my entire life. Rejoice in the Lord, abide in the Lord, and be about his business. Chapter 13, we read on. So they got it going, now they're one nation. They're all together. All the military is all on board. There's no coups, there's no division, they're together. Chapter 13, short chapter, one thought. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader, all the men. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, Nation. If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands, that they may gather together to us. 
and let us bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, our God, back to us, for we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor in Egypt, as far as the entrance of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Baalah, to Kirjath-Jerim, which belongs to Judah, so it's in that region of where Judah was, their territory, to bring up from there the ark of God, the God of the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, those are the angels, where his name is proclaimed. Now remember the ark of the covenant, the gold chest, the golden rods, the Kohathites carried it, the Aaron and his guys, Ten Commandments were in there. That's it. That's the Ark of the Covenant. It represented God's presence among the people. So it says in verse 7, So they carried the Ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And then David and all Israel played music before God with their might, singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. I'm sure it was beautiful. Verse 9. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark. No one's supposed to touch the ark. That's what the Bible says in the Old Testament. And he died there before God, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. I mean, what a tragedy. Can you imagine? Just picture it. It's pretty serious. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him into the house of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, who was a Levite, the Gideite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Back here in verse 7, it says, you know, well, it says in the early verses that he consulted all the people and got all, every, you know, all the people that are human in time, space, and matter, they all agreed it's a great idea. It's, it's a wonderful idea. But the execution of the plan was terrible. It was not the biblical model. The biblical model is those sons of Aaron, they carry the Ark of the Covenant. No one else does. It's not a mystery. It's not like it's some obscure passage in the Old Testament. Where can we find what it says how to carry the ark? I mean, it's like all over the law of Moses. This is how you carry the ark. It's like John 3.16 for a New Testament believer. <laughs> like this, every football game, John 3.16 in the field goal, right? Like, it's, it's, this is how, nobody's like, hey, I think we carry the ark like this, but not on a cart, even a new one. That's what the Philistines do. They put the ark on a cart when they're sending it back with the you know, little golden tumors because you afflicted them. The people of God do not do the things of God the way Philistines do. We do them the way God says to do them. The world doesn't tell us how we worship the Lord and what's truth and what's not. The word of God tells us absolute truth and how to do it. Even wonderful godly men and good counsel of good men can be wrong if they're not simply being led by the word of God. Interesting thing about Uzzah, he, he was, he, it was in his house. And sometimes we get like that with the grace of the Lord. We get too comfortable with God's grace. We take it for granted. We take it lightly. We lowly esteem it. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. Everyone in Los, everyone in Los Angeles County is saved by grace. We're all saved by grace. No, no, we're not. We're saved by grace, but not everybody's saved by grace. And not everyone who thinks they're saved by grace is saved by grace. A saving grace is a transforming work in a person's life. And if they're the exact same version of who they were before they went forward a great glory crusade or before you prayed with them or they received the Lord over the radio or something, if they're the same person two years later, that's a questionable grace. 
as we've been saying, we're not just saved from sin, we're saved to the kingdom. We're saved not by works, but to a work that's uniquely ours with the Lord. And Uzzah was maybe just a little too comfortable and slack with the things of God. Maybe just a little too comfortable having the ark in the house, kind of casual. Hey, Paul, there's the ark. Let's put it on a cart. Hey, me and the ark, we're close like that. I can just grab the ark. No, no, you can't. Or as Romans 6 says, what should we do? Sin all the more that grace may abound? No, 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 you can't. Don't go touching the ark the way you think you can because you are comfortable with the presence of that. God's holiness, we should be comfortable with God's holiness because we're being transformed by his spirit to holiness. The Lord says, be holy as I am holy. And it's, a, it's that sanctifying work to make us like Christ. And it's a, it's a work of grace. It is a wonderful thing. But Hebrews warned us about counting the blood of the covenant a common thing and trampling it asunder. And Uzzah, I think, we know enough to know that he had the ark in his house and he didn't do things right. Now, David gets our attention with this incredible phrase, how can I bring the ark of God to me? Verse 12, how can I? By the way, that's probably the most important question you can ask every day of your life. How can I? And I'll come back to that. But in this context, how can I bring the ark of God to me? Well, where do we get all the answers, David? Where do we get all the answers, body of Christ? In the word of God. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word, Psalm 119. How can I know right from wrong? All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, instruction, and training in righteousness, for reproof and correction, that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's how. The answer to the 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 answer to all the critical house in our life, how can I get to heaven? How can I know I'm called to be a woman? How can I know I'm called to be a man? How can I know I'm called to uh, a heterosexual relationship? Because the Bible says so. And that's the way God made us. Jesus said, have you not read how he made them? male and female, and brought the two together. How can I know my life has meaning and purpose? Because he made them. He made them in his image, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. That's how you know. How do we know origin? Because the Bible says so. How do we know a young earth? Because the Bible says so, and true science confirms so. How do I know I'm not a man stuck in a woman's body or a woman stuck in a man's body? Because the Bible says so. Those are delusional demonic and deadly teachings of depraved men. And they make God a monster. The devil's a monster. God is light, and in him is no moral darkness at all. See, how can I know? Every generation can know the same way as the previous generation through the word of God. So the preaching of the gospel, fulfillment of the Great Commission, and as Paul said to the Ephesian elders, I have not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's how we know. That's why I shared with the men on Saturday morning those core absolutes of the universe. The core absolute number one is the word of God is the final authority for all things in this universe, from Genesis to Revelation. Core value number two is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is who he is, and he's the center of the universe, and everything's moving around him and for him and coming to him, and he's going to reign over it all. In a universe of trillions of galaxies expanding and dying at the same time, it all, it all revolves around Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did when he came to this planet as the son of God and the son of man. 
The absolute sureness of God's promises is a core value absolute of the universe. God will always keep his word. It's impossible for God to lie. His yes is yes, and it's never yes and no. The absolute truth and the authority of the word of Scripture, the absolute truth of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and the absolute authority of the promises of God. Another core value of the universe is the authority of the church of Jesus Christ in time, space, and matter. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church, and I've given you the keys to the kingdom of this church. No organization in the world is living in the power of the Holy Spirit like this gathering tonight, except every other church just like us tonight, the body of Christ, the universal church. And we do have authority. We have authority through Jesus Christ over principalities and powers and the forces, dark spiritual forces at war against the advancement of the gospel and the Great Commission. We, the church, through humility and service and sacrifice, hold the high ground in every battle in the human experience, in every generation. There is no entity more powerful with more authority in time, space, and matter than the local church, unified with the universal church of Jesus Christ. Wow, those are some pretty powerful core values, huh? They're absolute. The universe revolves around those four truths. You can bank your soul on it. So when David says, how can I know? We can answer, David, you can know. We can know that all truth is in the Bible. We can know that all truth is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We can know that every promise he makes is yes and amen. And we can know that his kingdom on earth, his church, he died for it. It's his bride. He loves us like you men love your brides before your wedding night and since your wedding night, hopefully more and more from glory to glory. And he's coming for his bride. Don't mess with his bride. And he will exalt his bride in time eternal. And until then, we have the keys of the kingdom. And whatever seems like a setback for the church, it's a lesson as it is in our own life. Because all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Chapter 14, very short chapter, one key thought. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees with masons and carpents to build him a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him. Then David took more wives in Jerusalem, and David begot more sons and daughters. And these are the names of his children whom he had in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobad, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Eliphelet, Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Beliada, Eliphelet. We've seen this list before, but just a reminder, Solomon, that's the great Solomon, and Nathan, that's the son through whom the Virgin Mary came and through the genealogy of Jesus going back to uh, the first Adam in the Gospel of Luke's genealogy is Nathan. Verse 8, now when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to search out for David, and David heard of it, and he went out against them, and the Philistines went and made a raid on the valley of Rephim, and David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. So they went out to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, they called the name of the place Baal-perazim. And when they left their gods, that is a little trinket gods, there David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. Then the Philistines once again made a raid on the valley, and therefore David inquired again of God. And God said to him, you shall not go up after them, circle around them. 
and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear a sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees that you shall go out to battle, for God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. So David did as God commanded him, and they drove, they drove back the army of the Philistines from Gibeah as far as Gezer. Then the fame of David went out into all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. In this short chapter, we get reminded of how David defeated the Philistines in two different battles. Of course, this is in Samuel, the book of Samuel as well. It is interesting that he was at one time allied with the Philistines when he was fleeing from Saul. And the Philistines recognized his leadership. They knew how deadly he was when he took out uh, Goliath, their giant, previously. But they surely, just like his own family, underestimated his greatness and what God really had for him and, and the hand of the Lord upon him. He was smart enough to seek the Lord on this one. It says where he inquired of God there in verse 9, shall I go up? And it's always good to acknowledge the Lord first and let him direct our steps. It's like, you know, that famous proverb, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways and he shall direct your path. We don't need a lot of wisdom to figure out which shoes we're going to wear to work or something. But we've said this before, the higher the stakes of a decision you're making, and commitments you're making, the more important it is to really press into the Lord and make sure, as a follower of Christ, you let him guide those decisions. The older people here can tell the younger people, we've all wasted time and energy pursuing things that were not the things of the Lord. And I can speak for myself, I regret it. I filled my mind with information, but not beneficial knowledge. I spent days pursuing things, but not for the kingdom and good fruit. Even as a pastor. We want to really know that the Lord is in everything. And if he's not and he tells you no and pull back, then we want to obey that. What gets my attention more than verse 10, where he says, inquires of the Lord, will you deliver them in my hand? Of course, the Lord did. Is later on where it says in verse 13, David inquired again of the Lord. The distinction, again. This is so important, and we close with this thought tonight. So often when we see the Lord work a certain way, we think that's the way he's always going to work. Jeremiah warned in the book of Jeremiah that the people, instead of being off drinking the living water of the Lord, that symbolism, that idea of living water, daily dependence on the Lord, that they were drinking water from broken cisterns, like, like emergency blue bins you have in the desert for water, you know. And there's that tendency that we can have, like, oh, this is how the Lord did it in the past. This is how I'll do it tomorrow. Well, he did it this way yesterday, and now we're going to do it again, so this is how he's going to do it. No, it's not that way. Every day is meant to teach us dependency upon the Lord and urgency with the Lord, whatever our life involves, whether it's relationships with family and extended family, whether, you know, this might have been the way you could, you could minister to your adult children last year, your son, but that's not the way it's going to work this year. You're going to need a little different insight and wisdom how to approach him with this situation as a, as a loving parent of an adult child. It, you have four different kids, and they're all different. All my adult kids laugh about, you know, who got spanked, who didn't, and why, and whatever, and it's like funny stuff at holidays and when we're all together, and it's like, you know, you line them up, Hannah, Leah, Timmy, Luke. I mean, you can take a guess, don't, but like, if you think it's Timmy, raise your, no, never mind. So, um, but they're all different, but like, as a parent, you don't just, you have four kids, they would, the Sweetens have ten kids, Dwayne and Nicole Sweeten. You couldn't possibly discipline them all the same because they all have different personalities and different things, that, how you minister to them and how they learn. Everyone's different. And what might have been yesterday is definitely not today. We can't make today's decisions based upon yesterday's fruit. 
we need to inquire again of the Lord. Because just that's what he did yesterday doesn't mean he's going to be doing that today or tomorrow in, in many cases. So we definitely want to learn from David, hey, don't just inquire for the first victory and presume they're all going to go that way. Inquire again for the next victory because that's how the Lord wants us to be. Because like David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And that means the shepherd's guiding the sheep every day. Yes and amen.